This is Museum People, a podcast that celebrates individuals connected with the museum field by highlighting their work, passions, opinions, and personalities. In each episode, you'll hear stories and viewpoints from a variety of museum people, unsung workers to executive directors, volunteers to trustees, as they help change the world one visitor at a time. And now, the hosts of Museum People, Dan Yeager and Marika Van Dam. Welcome to Museum People. Hey, Dan. Hey, Marika. We're so excited to have some wonderful guests on our show today. Yeah, this is a new thing for us. Wow, new format. We've got a symposium here. I just want everyone to uh, picture how we are right now because um, Nima's only sprung for two microphones and we have <laughs> five people in the room. So you can imagine what heads are very close to other heads right now. Right. This it's is really just fun. like a, it's an auditory selfie, sort of. This is very <laughs> So, who do we have in the room today? You guys want to introduce yourselves? I'm Adrian Turnbull Riley. I am program assistant at the Power of Your House um, on the Freedom Trail. I'm Scarlett Hoey. I'm a program manager at Arts Worcester in Worcester, Mass., and I help out at NEMA, too. I'm Ali Rico. I work at the Natural History Museum at Harvard, and I'm a graduate student in the Museum Studies program at Harvard. And what do you have in common, you three? We're We're emerging (laughs) professionals. (laughs) Emerging professionals, right. So um, two separate but related groups, uh, the NEMA Young and Emerging Professionals, also known as the YEPs, and the AAM Emerging Professional Group, which Adrian tells me has a new acronym, which we can't pronounce. It does. It is now the National Emerging Museum Professionals Network. Right. So we're here to talk to these three as representatives of folks that are just starting out in the museum field, and uh, they fit in very nicely, I think, with our overall... A conversation with folks in the field. Marika, I'm, I'm ceding the floor to you. Question number one. Hey, ladies. Um, my question for each one of you is, why are you working in museums when you're so bright and talented it could be working elsewhere? Oh, my God. Senate snark snark <laughs> from the very question. beginning. <laughs> ladies, could you tell me what you're excited about working in museums and why you chose this as your field? I really love the stories that get told through museums, whether it's the Museum of Science introducing children to dioramas of natural history animals or Old South Meeting House telling their story or our contemporary art space um, sharing art uh, for all children. So I really love the stories that get told in those spaces, and I think stories help break down barriers and can introduce people to new perspectives, and that's why I love museums, because they tell those stories. Well, I second what Scarlett says, but also uh, I grew up like obsessed with history. So, you know, the, the history behind why we are here, why we do the things we do really fascinates me. And I think museums are a, an ideal space to tell those stories and remind us of like, where we've come from and, and where we can go. I have a background in anthropology, and I think museums allow us to travel and learn all different time periods in all different places around the globe and beyond space um, within our own town or within our own country, very locally. They're a great way to to learn about the world. So what was your transformative moment? You were in a museum somewhere and you said, I want to work here. 
Is that true? I don't know. How'd you guys? There had to have been a museum story in there somewhere mm-hmm. when you were little, maybe, <laughs> or no? Yeah. I mean, I've been going to museums my whole life because of my dad. Um, so I just grew up in them. But I didn't really have the aha moment until I started my job at Harvard and I realized that I had been working in museums for a couple of years at that point and it was kind of like oh I like working I you know what I would like to learn more about this I'm gonna I'm gonna pursue this degree and it just kind of evolved from there so you're working and decided that this is a career that I might like you tested the waters yeah basically (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah, I think growing up in Metro West, just west of Boston, um, you know, you get bombarded with Paul Revere stories, mm-hmm. and you get told, uh, you know, about the Alcotts, and you have this real sense of history around you, and then you come into Boston, and you're like, oh my gosh, it's literally everywhere. And that kind of past that gets woven into the present really hit me, I think, when I went to Mass Art, and I was studying art history and photography, and you kind of understood, like, oh, these paintings were getting painted while the French Revolution was happening? Oh, wow, like, that was happening. Mm-hmm. And I think that's when I was like, yes, this is what I want to surround myself with. I want to be around art and these stories and making sure everything gets shared. Adrian, any- I took an exhibit design class in undergrad and somewhere in between building tiny uh, pedestals to put tiny things on, um, I realized that there were jobs in museums besides right. being a curator. When I realized that I could actually work in museums and get paid for it, that was, I was hooked. Because I'd always it. loved museums, but yeah. I didn't totally get that you can make a job out of it. Well, so how are you finding the field as you're navigating your way into jobs here? Is this daunting or has it been fairly straightforward? You kind of know what you want to do? It's rough. It's rough. Yeah? yeah. How so? Um, I think especially in Boston area, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's a lot of great, great grad programs here pumping out a lot of really smart people, and there's a, there's a finite amount of jobs. Mm. So it's kind of supply and demand a little bit. Yeah. And I think also, too, you come out of grad school with a lot of theory and kind of like what you said in the episode about museum studies programs. You have to get in you have to do the practical work to really understand the theory behind it. And um, it's, it's hard enough to get like a great internship to get some of that practical work. And then it's even harder to find a place where you're like, I have all this practical work in all these different departments and how do I make it into my career? Like what's my trajectory? If you, if you could wave the magic wand though and make it all happen to change things in the field right now to your benefit what would you do what would you like to see happen equal wages between mm-hmm. men and women directors yeah. i think that's really important yeah definitely a, a more equitable distribution of wealth within museums and also i'd love to see a little bit less fear of pushing the envelope mm-hmm. and doing the radical thing and taking the chance like do it And I think that's also what the value of having emerging museum professionals, you know, whether it's sit on the sidelines of your board or, you know, help out around the office or in the exhibit hall, um, people can bring, younger people can bring a value to older crowds in the sense that we have a new perspective and just because something changes, it doesn't mean it's scary, it just means it's changing and that's okay. Yeah, fear is a recurring theme here on this podcast, isn't it? It seems like fear of 
innovation, fear of doing the wrong thing. It's easy to identify, but I, can you maybe say a little more? If we had listening, let's assume we have listening, all different kinds of museum people, and they were here and you were telling a museum executive, I'm a museum director, what would you tell me about getting EMPs involved? What ideas do you have? Do you have anybody under the age of 30 on your board? Hmm. No. They don't give money. <laughs> I know money's important. I say for... that like with like yeah. totally I totally get it. Yeah. But it's a hard sell. It's a hard sell, isn't it? Definitely. What do you think an under 30 would do on a board like mine? I have about 15 individuals. They're all over age, let's say 45. What could a young perspective bring? Yeah, I think a fresh set of eyes to a beautiful old historic house and someone who's, you know, grown up with Facebook or Instagram or other social media, but even just beyond social media, someone who really wants to connect maybe to their roots in Cambridge or share the story with people who are around their age. And, you know, does that mean maybe having study groups from Harvard here? I don't know. Um, I'm not sure exactly what it might look like, but I think it's important. Do you guys have mentors in the field? Yes. Yeah? What do they do? The mentors. I mean, personally, most most of my mentors I have met over alcoholic beverages, but um, I think they, it's good to have more than one, but it's, I mean, they're, they're your friends, but they also help, you can bounce ideas off of them, you can, you can go to them when you have an, a problem at work that, you know, they might have dealt with. Yeah, I think a mentor is someone who's encouraging and listens and makes you feel really valued. And I think that's really important as young emerging professionals to feel like somebody else in the field, you know, has your back and has you under their wing and wants to see you succeed. Yeah, I would say the people I appreciate most are those who advocate for me. Um, And kind of like Ali was saying, don't be afraid to push the envelope or... There are the people in your life who are like, you're smart, you can do this. If you have a great idea, pursue it and be brazen. And those people are really good to counterbalance my, um, I was about to say the word fear, but (laughs) I'm not supposed to say it anymore. Um, My inhibitions that I might have in the workplace. So the group, though, I'm interested in hearing about your cohort, though. Does your cohort support you individually? Not, as, say, as mentors do, but is there... Because Marika made some mention in a prior podcast about how she, in museum studies school, looked around the room and said, here's the competition. Do you guys all see yourselves as competitors, or do you actually support each other as well? I think we support each other. Yeah. I know, you know, I'm really pleased when I hear good news about anyone and everyone in our cohort, and I'm just really lucky to be included in that, too. Mm. Yeah, I think it's a really strong group of, um, if not mentoring, at least supporting, because um, we're all going through the same. What's our trajectory? We're looking for jobs. Should we go back to grad school? All those really important questions. Mm. Um, What's the meaning of life? (laughs) (laughs) 42. Yeah, Yeah, and I feel like I definitely, when I first started my program, had that same mindset of you are all my competition. And it's so toxic to have that as in the forefront of your mind like as as you go through 
a programmer as you start to come into this field. If you are looking at everybody just being like, I have to beat you, then you're kind of missing the point because you never know who's going to all of a sudden help you get your foot in the door somewhere or who is going to come around and be like, oh, by the way, uh, this thing you did really impressed my bosses. They want to talk to you. Like, So I, I think it's much it's safer, but it's also a lot easier to just be a little bit more willing to work with everybody as opposed to just being negative all the time. Yeah, and I think, you know, rising tides lift all ships. So, you know, when something good happens to one person, you know, that's positive and it might affect your work too. Dan, side note. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I sometimes just hearing these wonderful things these ladies are saying, I feel like I was born in the wrong era. Um, Do tell. Well, I mean, just being a Gen Xer and sort of being stuck in this middle group and not feeling the kind of joy that you guys Mm -hmm. just are just describing. And I don't know, what have you experienced? You talk to a lot of people. Like, what do you see? I I see both sides. I think that there, honestly, there's a lot of ambivalence out there. There are folks that really want to believe that they are very collaborative and collegial. They are, but sometimes it comes down to that stack of 100 resumes for that job opening. And the fact is, is we are all competitive, but it's, you know, you have to be, I suppose, uh, in this uh, in this field because it is just a very, very competitive field. It's very desirable. Mm-hmm. People want to work in the field. But ultimately, it's it's a bit of ambivalence. Hey, all right, so a segue, though, this might be a good time for you to tell us a little bit about what uh, your cohort groups do, the YEPs and uh, the national group and so forth. Give us a, you have the air now, you have the mic for a little plug. Tell us what goes on. So the NEMA YEPs, we have a Facebook, check us out. We host workshops, we post really interesting articles that aren't always museum-related but do affect the field. We also have tours of really cool places. We're a really fun group to hang out with after work, not necessarily for drinks, but also for drinks. I feel like it's about networking, but also about just getting out and about. I mean, all of the places that I probably would not be on my radar are on my radar because of Nima Yeps. So going to new museums that I wouldn't go to by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, having conversations that I wouldn't have normally. That kind of thing, which I guess is sort of networking, but... We had a really fun event where Allie led us around the reservoir by the Waterworks Museum, and then we got a tour, so we're really open to, you know, getting out and about, like Adrian was saying, and then also going for a tour and um, bonding. Yeah, and if you are working at a museum and want to (laughs) give us a tour, because we always welcome our our young emerging uh, buddies to give tours and kind of get their faces out there if they want to you know get in touch with us we'll we'll make a tour up one of the big things on our radar well this year the last few years has been diversity and i'm actually very intrigued by the whole museum workers speak movement should museum workers encourage their museums to be more socially active i think that's one of the things honestly that we as a the younger cohort really bring to the table is our social connectedness um i think every museum has their their mission and statement and um their strong uh, their strengths i should say um and so i don't think the answer is you should do this x y or z um to be socially active i think you should look at what you have what are your strengths 
what community are you located in? And think about, all right, how can we contribute to this greater whole, our little piece of it? Um, but I think people like us are well-suited to those types of conversations. Yeah. Why you guys? Just because we tend to be more active on social media. In gen- I'm speaking in broad strokes here. Um, we're, uh, have spent, we've kind of grown up with the internet a little bit. Um, and I think that that gives us an advantage. Fast forward 15 years, 20 years, let's say 20 years, 15 or 20 years. What does a museum look like in, compared to the way it looks now in terms of what it does, who it serves, that type of thing? I'll speak to one portion of this. My interest is really in education. So I hope that in 20 years there's a lot more interaction between uh, the school system, whatever that will look like in 20 years because even that's changing, but let's say formal learning and informal learning. Um, that's already obviously happening a ton um, between museums and schools today, but I, ho- I hope that that even grows and increases and mm-hmm. becomes richer. And I, I hope that more museums, I'm, I'm very much like a collections nerd at heart, and I really hope that more museums get a little bit more creative with their collections because I'm doing a lot of research for my my paper right now and I can't remember who said this but somebody one of my notes that I wrote down was that museums are or collections are are not static they're they're thriving changing organisms and I probably butchered that quote but I I think that's really important they I mean why do we collect these objects if not because they are so fascinating and I think Mm more museums could be doing much better things with their collections than they are now. Yeah, thinking what um, Ali was kind of saying, it's the idea of how do these stories get told at these sites, you know, 20 years from now, hopefully there'll be more sites like the Royal House and Slave Dwellings that, you know, are telling the story of Belinda or the untold stories that are beneath the floorboards or about the women that were working in the house, but nobody you know, pays attention to them because it's named after the male in the family. Um, I'd like to see more stories uh, about the people that we don't see. So the same 20 years in that museum, what are you guys doing? Hopefully, Hopefully we're like <laughs> directors, because yeah. I think, and, uh, I feel like there's no, night, no delicate really way to say this, but I, I feel like, One of the problems that a lot of emerging professionals are facing right now is that there's this backup in the pipeline of people moving up in museums for whatever reason. And, you know, you hear a lot about there aren't a lot of jobs in museums right now. And I think part of that really has to do with people aren't moving up. And I don't know what's causing that problem. If it's people aren't being taught how to move into a more director-type role, whether it's the director of your department or the director of a museum. But I would like to think that in 20 years, a lot of EMPs are beyond (laughs) entry-level jobs. Because it's a huge problem. And I think also the idea of being directors of larger institutions, and this goes back to women in the field running a lot of small historic sites, um, but also hopefully there'll be more equality for the larger multi-million dollar institutions too. Mm. 
So what do you think you need personally to get into those positions? Strong mentors. And I think, I think we in New England are very lucky that we have a lot of, we have a mm. density of yeah. strong people to mm. teach us how to move up. Well, I got to tell you, it's, it's great to hear all three of you say, I want to be leaders in our institutions, because that's not uniform. But of course, it makes sense, because here you are, leaders of your cohorts. And so that is sort of obvious that you'd be inclined that way. A lot of folks, though, look at leadership as being very, very difficult, which it is in some ways. It's also something that you're kind of called to. So I congratulate you on that. I think part of that problem that not many people are looking to be leaders in in their respective institutions is they're not being taught how to be leaders. And I think part of that is you need to learn how to fix the leaky roof if you're the director of a small historic house and you're the only full-time staff member or you need to learn how to balance the budget and those are things that you don't necessarily get taught in grad school that's something that you learn on or your even own. at an entry level or even at an entry level job and it's something that I think would really benefit a lot of people if grad school and I'm only speaking from my experience in in one particular program but I think people would benefit if there were museum finance and museum governance classes that people could go into and come out of and say like I have a better understanding of how this works now and now I can go put this theory into practice. Well and maybe that goes to Marika's earlier question about what do you wish mid-career or late-career professionals knew about you. I think we are eager to learn. We're ambitious. Sponges. We're smart. Um, and if you're willing to sit while you're doing the budget and let us look over your shoulder and teach us a few things, that would be great. Um, I think it would be empowering um, from our older colleagues or our supervisors to bring us into the fold in that way. Mm. I think one of the best things my boss did at the gallery I work at was step aside and allow me to run a program for Teen Night, which we'd never done before. And I was really inspired by the ICA's Teen Night and the fact that she said, you know, look, um, you know, I'm not going to stand in your way. We'll get in touch um, with whoever you want to get in touch with. And I was allowed to take charge and that really gave me the autonomy to make decisions and invite people and mm. get everything prepared. So that was great. The thing that we're not being taught in grad school is how to ask better questions and get the help we need. Like, I don't know how to fix a roof. I've always had a guy, but I know how to call someone to ask for help. And that's, I mean, can you teach someone? Right. You should. You don't know what question to ask when you're in grad school, but when you get the job, then you got to, Yeah. well, how do you teach that? Do you think you can have curiosity without it being taught? Yes. I think so. I think we're taught not to be curious, especially us ladies at a certain age. You know, you were told, like, stop asking questions, just do as you're told, sit there and look pretty. Um, and we're discouraged even in the classroom, you know, studies, blah, 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 blah. I didn't mean to get on this tangent. I feel like um, I'm outnumbered. But <laughs> uh, I think that it is going back to our, our issue of fear. What is what are we scared of if we ask or if we push or if we try? Yeah, I think we somehow have to, you know, pardon my language, but screw conformity and really, you know, push the envelope and say, hey, look, you know, 
women in the museum field are here. We've been in lots of positions and we still don't make equal pay and it's atrocious and how can we fix it? And what are, what are the actionable steps to say, you know, is it sharing a salary range for jobs posted for, you know, emerging museum professionals, whether it's an internship or, you know, a medium level job. Um, if you don't have a salary range and you're applying to these jobs and then you don't know if it's even a livable wage, you're almost wasting your time applying to these things. Mm. And as a, a woman, it is upsetting if you hear a male gets that job and then makes more than you. I think that kind of goes back to what Scarlett said about getting younger people on your board, though. And I understand that a part of mm. being on a board is you either give money or you get people to give money. And maybe you create something like some of the museums in New York, and I know the MFA have like a junior board. Maybe you create something like that. But I think if if the pay issues are coming from the board level, then you need somebody who doesn't rake in six figures every year saying these people need to be able to live in the city that you want them to work in. And until you can pay them for it, mm -hmm. they will not come. Mm -hmm. Well, the trouble is, is they do come. And that's what's limiting, though, to our field and diversity, because we have a lot of people that they're willing to work for less than a living wage. They are willing to do the nonstop unpaid internships. Don't get me started. I well, I'm getting you started. I'm pushing your button here. Uh, <laughs> unpaid internships. Unpaid internships are the worst, and they should be stopped. We need to find a way to pay our interns. What should an intern be paid? I think if you can find a way to pay your intern even, I mean, I expect most interns are part-time. That's what I've come mm -hmm. to understand about internships. Mm -hmm. I would hope you could find 9 to $10 an hour to pay your intern to come in for 15 hours That's a week. above minimum wage, too, in Massachusetts. Yeah. A lot of interns, especially grad students, they are adults. They need to be able to make money and if they're taking time off of their actual paid job to come help your museum, you should acknowledge that with something beyond a thank you. I think tied into that too is the proper management of interns and volunteers and you know potentially staff, making sure a museum trains an intern properly and also shows that an internship is different than a paid staff job. Yes. And that an internship is different from a volunteer position. Yeah. So in the museum, 20 years in the future, will there be internships? I think they've become part of the fabric of getting into the field. But if they're going to continue, they have to be paid. And they have to change. They have to be more equitable. They have to allow for the field to diversify. And if they can't, then to be gotten rid of. Hmm. <laughs> um, I'd love to hear about what you loved about being an intern. Working with my mentor, with my supervisor, and actually being given responsibilities that I was, it wasn't like I've half done all of these things and you can finish them for me. It was, these are things that if you don't get them done, they're not getting done. And you have 12 months to get this project wrapped up. So go. I worked at the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum as an intern, and one of my favorite parts of that internship was getting to see the John Singer Sargent 1888 beautiful portrait of Mrs. Gardner. 
really up close and seeing all the little dab marks uh, that make up her beautiful pearls. But um, I think the story behind, you know, he painted it nine times and she was uh, kind of a difficult patron and the fact that her husband thought it was a disaster and didn't want the public to view it. So I'm really fascinated by the stories that all those objects are like holding in themselves, but you only hear about them or read about them um, once you're kind of absorbed in the space. Yeah, I think all my internships were extremely rich learning experiences. And I don't think any of us are trying to downplay that fact. Um, But all of my internships were unpaid. Um, I think... (laughs) Sounds confessional here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. (laughs) Um, I don't know. It's just a mixed bag. Like, there's a lot of... A lot of... That goes into that whole topic. Um, I think... Yeah, I would go with Allie's point, like... Having a project from point A to point B that you are critical to the success of that project. You might not be the only person working on that project, but that was just such an enriching experience and really gave me a lot to go off of in going into the future. It gave me something to talk about in job interviews. Um, it gave me experience to think on while I was in grad classes. It's so, it's interesting to me to think about remembering when I was applying for jobs in in entry-level capacity, and um, I was pretty desperate to get a job. I would just take pretty much anything that looked decent to me. So when you are looking at jobs, you're advising your cohort, how choosy are you? To a degree, it's it's hard because you look at the job descriptions and I, for one, have an issue with the way we write job descriptions. They are so <laughs> flowery and I'm like, just get to the point. What do you want me to be able to do? Wear five hats. Yeah. Like, do I need to be able to wear 12 hats and balance China? Like, cool. Just tell me that. <laughs> um, I guess something I think about, I have a couple friends who work in security at a couple museums around here and they get worried that they're going to be stuck in those positions for a while. And I think it's important that even when you're working these positions, uh, you are in a museum and you get to interact with lots of people that you know the three of us may not be able to interact with. So it's leveraging the connections that you might be able to make there it might be a good shoe into a possible another job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really tough question. Um, I think if you have a job, like if you're security at a museum and you're job searching at the same time, you can be choosy because you have a paycheck. If you're unemployed and looking for work, that makes it much more difficult, you know? So it depends on what your situation is. But um, I think picking a job that maybe is not your dream job, but you can see how that job could advance your career, you could see connections, you could see networking opportunities. If you can see those things in a job, but it's not your end-all, be-all, it's probably okay to take it because... We're young, and hopefully we'll, you know, we've got time in our careers to do that. But Another great plug for an article that the Harvard Business Review wrote, I think it was about a year and a half ago, saying that sometimes uh, women who are totally qualified for jobs but we don't think we're qualified won't apply for the job because it says, oh, wait, you know, you need three years of experience, and you only have two and a half, and this Harvard Business Review Um, was saying that, you know, men, I think, what is it, nine times out of ten will apply for that job, but women, uh, the percentage is a lot less. So apply for the job, even if you (laughs) think, you know, you're within qualifying range, just, like, do it. Hey, what trumps what, though? Does the job position trump the place when you're looking for a job, 
or does the place trump the position? It depends, really. Yeah. Yeah. I think some people have this idea that there are certain places that they want to work and they will not apply to jobs that are not at those museums. And I think you're limiting yourself if you do that. Mm-hmm. I think the the larger the museum, the more narrow your focus is going to be, probably. Within the job. W- within the job. But if you apply and get a job at a historic house that has a smaller staff, you might be wearing five hats. You might be facilities manager and collections manager at the same time and you might actually get more experience working at that historic house that you were like no I don't really want to work there as opposed to being siloed into one department for however long you decide to stay this is my opinion yeah I guess I can speak to that a little too um the gallery I work at is out in Worcester, Massachusetts, and I don't know if many of our listeners know where Worcester, Massachusetts <laughs> is, but it's an old industrial city that went through a rough patch, and it's getting better. And <laughs> the area I work in is a little bit rough, but I know I'm getting a lot of really interesting experiences and a great boss and mentor, and the autonomy I have there wouldn't have been granted to me at a larger institution. Mm. Yeah, one of my first jobs, I was I started out as a volunteer, and there was a need for an administrative assistant, and I was hired, and then it kind of evolved into, I'd started to run the social media, and was doing all this stuff that nobody thought needed to be done, but there was a need for it, and got way more experience out of that position than I really ever thought I was going to get, mm-hmm. so... Don't underestimate the small historic house museums. Yeah. Nope. Please. Don't do it. <laughs> you know my philosophy, which is be open to the universe. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I've seen success both ways. I've seen people who got their dream institution and actually ended up hating their job mm-hmm. and vice versa. So I don't think there's one right answer. I still want to know what makes you hopeful about the museum field. The people coming into it really. I've met so many people from my program and from going to conferences and going to informal networking events and just the crazy amount of ideas coming out of every direction. I I want all of these people to get jobs and I want them <laughs> to change this field for the future because everybody coming into it is so smart. Yeah, I'm really hopeful about this kind of generation coming into its own in the museum field. That said, I think we still can learn a lot from those who are slowly progressing out. And I think it shouldn't be a big, strong shove that we give to everybody, but really an acknowledgement to say, you know, you guys have all done great work and we'll continue doing great work. Yeah, I agree. I think the passion that I see in our cohort is really exciting. Um, the ideas, creativity, um, movements, the movements. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just really exciting to be a part of or hanging out with so many like ambitious, smart, excited people. I hope that that continues. (laughs) (laughs) 
It will. 20 years from now. Give him 10 years, Dan. Yeah, then you're going to turn hard like you. <laughs> Jaded, cynical, angry. angry. Staring out the window, shaking your fists. <laughs> <laughs> what would you like to know from everybody out there or say to everybody out there? I think I would love to hear um, flip the question of what do you want late career professionals to know about you. I'd like to flip that over um, and hear from late career professionals. What advice can you give us? What What do you want us to know about you as somebody who's been in the field for a long time? Because mm-hmm. we, I'll grant it, we can be a little... Um, Obstinate? Yeah, a little... <laughs> I don't know what the word is, but I think highly of ourselves, maybe. <laughs> um, we could do with some humility every once in a while. <laughs> so um, hearing from... Seasoned veterans. Seasoned veterans, what do you want us to know about you? I have heard this recently from an, an older museum professional discussing museum workers speak. He was saying that it's frustrating for the older generation of museum people to hear that the older museum generation didn't do anything, when in fact they had, and they had tried, and things had improved. Um, so I wonder if there is a way to share what that g- cohort did and what they thought the impact was on your cohort and my cohort. That'd be cool. Yeah, that would be really cool. Okay, parting shots? Anything else? Thanks. Thanks. Well, thank you guys. No, this has really this been is, terrific. No, this is fun. It is. Yeah. This is great. Next time, maybe Nima can get us more microphones. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to our ladies for joining us today. Good luck to our young and emerging museum professionals. Right. We look forward to seeing what great work you do. Keep up the good work. Let us know how we can help. Hashtag Museum People. Go for it. See you next time. Next time on Museum People. I just, I love the fact that you can talk about all these emotions in a workplace setting and a business with like a straight face and like it's not even a big deal. It was a session that was so, it was so full. I had to sit on the floor, um, but it was absolutely worth it. Go back and find your inner eight-year-old and remember what it was that brought you joy when you were that young because quite frankly, it's probably the thing that's still burning inside of you today. Museum People is a production of the New England Museum Association, which connects, inspires, and empowers cultural institutions to provide their communities with deep and authentic experiences. Have an idea or comment for museum people? Go to nemanet.org slash museum people to provide feedback, get information about episodes, and learn how to subscribe. Thanks for listening. 